Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, help us to understand a little bit about what's going on out there with the distractions of Babylon and and its fall. Um, some people are worried that it might not fall, but <laughs> that's just not the facts according to the Scriptures. Thank you, Lord. Um, we're going to call this The Fall of Babylon. In this first revelation, um, Babylon dragon falling, Elena Timoshuk, 825-23. I was in my backyard standing on my pool deck and looked into my pool. There was a massive log from a tree in the water that stretched across the whole length of my pool. Well, I believe that Babylon's fall is over the pool of God's Word that judges them. It's clear all through the Scriptures that God said He would bring down Babylon. So God judged Babylon and it fell because of how they treated the saints. Just like our factious Satanists, who are a part of it, will fall and be destroyed. In shock, I looked up, and behind my pool deck was a massive tree stump. The width of the stump was also the length of my pool, and I knew that it used to be a very tall tree. Well, in Daniel, the stump didn't fall, but was preserved as a symbol for seven years as a beast eating grass, representing the flesh of the saints. Amen. The flesh of the saints being devoured by the beast. That's what they normally do, right? I thought it's just not possible for this tree to fall like that and not crush our home in its fall. But I knew God protected us. And then my heart was filled with the fear of the Lord, and I opened my eyes. Well, true, Father will protect his saints and set them free from Babylonish satanic bondage. Um, and that was the end of her vision slash dream. But in Daniel, the tree was the leadership of Babylon, which fell when it was cut down for its pride, right? It is Satan, the dragon of Revelation 12, with his Satanist demons, even in the local coven, uh, which is falling from heavenly dominion, casting down are cast down by the saints in Revelation 12. This vision reminded me, she said, of a dream I had when I was nine or ten years old. I dreamt I was in my mom's kitchen. I was looking out the window, and the sky was very dark gray, with large dark gray clouds. I'm thinking dark gray probably represents death, approaching death, right? I saw sheep covered in blood, raining from the sky. 
well, the falling away are losing their place in heaven because they are guilty of blood of the saints. So they were upside down. In other words, they were backwards to everything Christian. This is true. And falling to the ground. Then I saw the tallest tree I'd ever seen, and it was leaning over, almost touching the ground. And I exclaimed, Mom, the tree is falling. Well, Babylon, the dragon who would devour the man-child and bride, will fall instead. Okay, in this next revelation, judgment on the anarchist left. This was given to Winnie Asagata, 11-17-21. Let me say that the anarchist left plan on destroying much in defense of the left who are losing power, and they don't care that it will be according to law and truth, for they never care about such things. Anarchists don't are lawless people, right? And so are Democrats, <laughs> and, and so are leftists, but... But the Alliance forces are planning to bring down these anarchists, and they believe they got a handle on them. They've even invaded them to know exactly what they're doing. So, after 11 p.m. on the evening of the 16th, I was reading Ezekiel 32 for the morning prayer meeting, and I specifically received Ezekiel 32, 12-16. By the swords of the mighty will I cause thy multitude to fall. The terrible of the nations are they all, and they shall bring to naught the pride of Egypt, and all the multitude thereof shall be destroyed. I will destroy also all the beasts thereof from beside many waters. Neither shall the foot of man trouble them any more, nor the hoofs of beasts trouble them. Then will I make their waters clear and cause their rivers to run like oil, saith the Lord. When I shall make the land of Egypt desolate and waste, a land destitute of that whereof it was full, uh, when I shall smite all them that dwell therein, then shall they know that I am the Lord. Well, Egypt many times is a type of the world, and the world is about to become a wilderness. Okay. This is the lamentation wherewith they shall lament. The daughters of the nations shall lament therewith over Egypt, and over all her multitude shall they lament therewith, says the Lord. Well, many agree that Egypt is a type of the world, and uh, we can see now that they're getting ready for this great world war that comes right after the man-child ministry starts in Revelation 6. I asked the Lord for a dream regarding this, and I went to sleep and had the following dream. I dreamt that I was at my aunt's apartment in New York, which is right across the hall of my mom's apartment. And there were two tabby cats there. One was a fluffy white and light gray striped tabby cat, and the other was an orange and white striped tabby cat. My mom whom I think probably represents the apostate church here, not that she is, but that she's representing, had so many cats, and she needed to help to, she needed help to get rid of some of them. 
Well, cats represent independent and self-willed natures, and definitely apostate church is full of that. And uh, it's leavened, it's ruined their uh, witness, it's leavened them down, and they are uh, useless. I pleaded with Chuck for him to allow me to take one of these cats back home, and he said that he would need a shovel, and so my mom gave him a large shovel, I guess to pick up that which the cat left behind, right? My aunt wanted to remain with the orange and white tabby cat, so I decided that I would take the white and gray and uh, one back home with us, and we did. Well, I would say, take no cats from the apostate church or Christianity. Take no cats. My aunt was uh, preparing for her death and told me to come get her uh, from her place anything uh, I wanted or have a need of. Uh, in real time, in real life, the doctors have given her the bad report and said that they would uh, be able, would not be able to operate on her as her veins in her hands were breaking and that uh, she should spend uh, time with her family as they do not believe she has much longer to live. However, I'm believing different for her. Uh, she does not know the Lord yet, but she will. Amen. So the scene changed, and I was watching a YouTube video on my phone of this young Christian woman named Janice, or Janice, whose videos I watch sometimes, uh, sharing a testimony. The visuals on her video were so beautiful and realistic that it almost felt like I was in the video watching in real time. The name uh, Janice means God is gracious. I saw scenes of a beautiful mountain and lake as well as a dock to jump into the lake in some of the scenes. Over some of the visuals, there was pink coloring and sketching as well as a white outline that, that digital artists and designers call a stroke. The video was very unique and uh, creative, and something I had not seen before. Janice began to share the testimony of another girl who treated her unkindly, and instead of returning evil for evil, she had a lot of grace towards the girl who mistreated her. Well, cats are famous for anarchy, and anarchists uh, especially don't like Christians. <laughs> And when she was sharing this part of her testimony, I could see a desk and a notebook uh, in a classroom setting, and it was so close, it was almost like I was sitting there. The notebook had writing that I do not recall, but uh, perhaps it was regarding this testimony Janice was sharing, and I vaguely remember the word grace being on the notebook. I remember thinking her testimony was amazing, uh, worded beautifully and full of wisdom, so I took heed. Well, we know that true Christians give grace to rebels, but um, what's going on out there in the world is the media Persian Empire, a type of it anyway, is conquering these Babylonians and bringing them to justice, right? The world, God lets the world handle the justice, and we 
we offer them grace, right? So Janice knew that God is the one who takes care of everything. So let him do it, right? So there is no need to return evil for evil. And she then said, look what happened to Minnesota. Hmm. Regarding the judgment that had come there because of people like the young woman who mistreated her. And when she said this, I saw a visual of a cup falling over and spilling from right to left. The cup had kind of the shape of a bottle you might use to mix different liquids or chemicals in in a chemistry class. Then in the video, uh, Janice mentioned helping others and cats by rehoming the cats. <laughs> Find another house for this, right? Um, and it made me think of the cat that I brought home from my mom's house. And I felt that is uh, what I needed to do as well. I really wanted to help my mom, but I realized I cannot keep the cat myself. Well, we need none of the rebellion uh, in the apostate church. We don't need to take it home with us at all. And then I woke up regarding my mom and the cats. I thought of the verse, Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, even if a, uh, a man be overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to thyself, uh, lest thou also be tempted. So when I woke up, I wondered why would the judgment come upon Minnesota? as it is such a random state and not one of the sin cities. However, when I looked up Minnesota News, I saw and then remembered that Minneapolis, Minnesota, is the epicenter and catalyst of the major BLM movement that happened in 2020 after the George Floyd incident. I believe they represent the far left who have caused so many, so much damage with their rioting and faction and just plain wickedness, uh, which the communist left used for their political gain. Well, Satanists and communists are always anarchists and will do their best to stop this revival in government and church, but they're going to fall, clearly. Um. I believe it is just a representation, she said, uh, of the judgment coming to them, and not necessarily about Minnesota itself, although it could be that as well. There was an instance where a wall that had a George Floyd mural was destroyed by lightning, so it was very clear that God is not pleased with this. I asked the Lord for a chapter regarding this dream and received Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. Now we know anarchists are against all law. They break all laws, just like Satanists do. They break all laws of man and and factious people, all laws of man and God. And they do it with impunity, they think. 
And he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water that bringeth forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf also doth not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Yes, we can see that God has driven the factious out of our midst. So we can be a holy body. But they don't just go out. They go out and persecute you the rest of their life if they can. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. And if we do not want to be judged with Egypt and the wicked, we can't partake of any of their ways. Don't take their cats home. So here's something very similar. It's um, America shaking coming. And this is from Prophet Ken Dewey, 822-23. And Missy sent this to me. She said, this reminds me of the word given to Ken about a D.C. shaking and that no one will come out from under the rubble that the Lord doesn't want in the new government. And I believe if... I'm correct, this also parallels with the faction against our ministry being judged. True, I believe that too. So this was uh, an interpretation of the tongues. We won't give the tongues, we'll just give the interpretation. I am moving them around, and they will not be able to tell what they are doing, nor will they fully understand until they open their eyes, only to see that they fell down and have lost their positions. Yes, that's happening to, um, well, the deep state in the government and the deep state in the church. Don't you know that they do not know even now which road to take? No, they don't have any rules. <laughs> For they are truly confused as to what step to take next. I am walking through them and they cannot stand. Their stupidity has gone to seed and they walk as dead men walking. Nor do they know in which way to turn, for their intended confusion is now theirs. Watch them fall down hard. Hitherto I have led them even in the darkness, where they think that they are masters in walking. I am not blind at night, for I see the same as in the daytime and night. They cannot hide their sins from me, for I see them all. Yes, they act like there is no God in control up there, and he does not see them. What they do in darkness is disgusting. I will pass over my people, and they will be safe. But those who are not mine, they will be shown the harsh life that they have so prescribed upon others. Yes, we can see that on them. It will come back as a boomerang and hit them in the head. Watch them stumble and watch them fall. Well, what the Lord is saying is they will now reap what they have sown. All the curses that they've sent against the righteous are going to come back on them. So basically their curses come out of their own mouth. The ground beneath many feet will be unstable. And as you shake, you will all strive for safety. 
But for many, it will be too late, for they have wasted their days and have not prepared for the immediate days following me. How do you prepare? Following the Lord, walking with the Lord, right? And he goes on to say, I am that I am, and beside me there is no other. He said for me to add these scriptures, and they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. Well, just as the factious Satanist perverts have tried to do in our day. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. That was the angels, right? Mm-hmm. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Well, they're a bunch of perverts, you know, and uh, they're not going to have their way with the righteous. That's Genesis 19, 9-11. And as you know, Lot escaped, and the perverts in Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. As the dragon falls, so go the Satanists, right? I have written what I heard said, and I did obey. I was thinking about those in the government of this land of America and heard the above words. Okay. And here's another one by Ken uh, called Death Angels. Stop Angels. Mm-hmm. August 26, 2023. I began to hear the following words a year ago, and this morning I heard the Lord speaking more about how He would bring a new day in this nation of America. He has said that much will change, and there will be a very hard time coming. Yep, we know about it. But the Lord will bring America, in part, to a new beginning. Yes. The fall of the Babylonish lawless dragon and the rise of uh, the new order, I believe, is being spoken of here. A new day in this nation of America. He, he was not talking about the second coming of Christ, nor was he talking about the tribulation days coming or the coming of the Antichrist, nor was he talking about a worldwide judgment, but a coming judgment upon America. <clears throat> he was not talking about a catching away. What he was talking about was judging and changing this nation that a new day would come, a day of great light and blessing upon his people who know him. But the evil men will be stopped, and many will even die. He talked about the present condition of the government and evil men in America. And here's what he said. I am in these coming days doing a work that I must work before things happen in America. This one work will cause many to fall down, out of the way, for the coming of a new day in this nation. When he says out of the way, it's those that are hindering the gospel. We know them, right? The uh, present 
will suddenly perish. One thing they cannot control is death. For it walks this land, and even as the firstborn in Egypt died, so will it happen again. But not my firstborn, right? But all who have my mark upon them will suddenly fall down. That's the evil mark, right? I have been marking them who will fall. They have an evil mark, and I put it there upon them. Well, we discovered that the mark in the forehead and the hand represent the mind and works of the flesh. A person who walks after the flesh must die, the Bible says. But my people have a good mark that I only can see, and the angels. I will send my ministers, or angels, with a destroying weapon in their hands, and they will smite all who have the evil mark. I will pass over all who have my good mark upon them. Whoa. So that's representing uh, the mind and works of Christ, right? The good mark. Uh, Some may say death angels, but what I say is stop angels, for it is mostly that I will suddenly stop them in their tracks. Yep, I think this is coming momentarily. And they will turn and run in fear of what they cannot see. Panic will break out. Great fear will grip their souls. And cry they will, for they do see, but do not see. Understand, but do not understand. They will only fear, for fear does fear uh, the unknown. My people will only watch them fall all around them. Watch them run away. Well, we just recently had a dream uh, just like this about the Satanists who planned to sacrifice our sister uh, in their perverted way, uh, and they took off running for some unknown reason. <laughs> um, shame them? Yes, I will cast great shame for what they do and plan to do, and they will dread the final end. They will shake in the knees and fear for what they will see. Me, I will walk among them. I have hidden myself in the clouds, but I will cause a great wind to blow away the clouds, and suddenly with their eyes will they see me, the very one that they thought did not exist. So their Lord Satan will not save them, obviously. Like a great wall of refreshing water will come across America, and when it passes over, all will be green and growing, and the desert will bloom, and the vacant land will no longer be undesirable. Well, I believe the water of the Word will be sent through the man-child and bride ministries bearing much fruit. Many will rush to do great exploits. For many that were not marked for evil will see in new light. Suddenly awakening, and they will see with new eyes. Hang on, the ride will be rough, but the way will be clear. A time of mourning. They will reap what they planned. For I am tired of them planning to destroy my people and my land. So God will judge those who have persecuted His saints. 
especially the Satanist and the factionist people, right? That they have, without uh, ceasing, constantly persecuted and tried to send witchcraft against God's people. Uh, the scripture, he said, is compare this event and liken it in part to Ezekiel 9. Go read that chapter to understand. I have posted this word in obedience to my Lord. It is his word, and I only, I am only the prophet to speak it and to write it down. And he called this, The Wicked Are Slain. Ezekiel 9, 1 through 11. Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, where it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem, of course, represents uh, the apostate leadership uh, at this particular time. And put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. So that's the righteous who are grieved at the evil that they see in what they think is the church, right? So to the others he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eye spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women. But do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. And he's talking about the good mark, the Passover of God's righteous. All right. And begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. Then he said unto them, Defile the temple, and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. And they went out and killed in the city. So it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone, and I fell on my face, and cried out, and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? Well, this is, again, the apostate leadership of the people. No, the righteous, he's never going to do that because they don't have the mark of the beast on them, right? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed. And the city full of perversity. Yes, they are. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. And as for me also, my eye will neither spare, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. 
This is a judgment, I believe, that is coming quickly. Just then the man clothed with linen, who had the inkhorn at his side, reported back and said, I have done as you commanded me. Okay. Well, um, yes, it's a time to depart from iniquity, and God sees all. Remember. Okay. And this next one we call Keep Your Eyes on the Prize. It actually was the title Dana Coverstone gave to this on 7-21-23. This dream began with me standing on a very quiet corner in a large city with a jumbotron-type monitor. So I th- so think Times Square in New York on the monitor streaming the news and the latest stock numbers on the side of the downtown building. It was very early in the morning, and the sun was up, and the sun was out with no clouds, and there were a few people out walking, but they were all holding umbrellas, even though it was a full sunny day. It was nice weather, and everybody had an umbrella out. Well, the umbrellas could represent man's means to hide from the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N. You know how when you try to talk to people and you know their need spiritually, they don't want to hear it. They want to hide from the sun because it's against their life and they don't want to give up their life. Now, just behind me was a city newspaper stand, and when I say a city newspaper stand, I think New York City or Chicago with the wooden doors that open where they sell newspapers and magazines on racks and all the sundries. And they were selling candy and cigarettes, gum and mints, and things like that. And then the owner walked out towards the edge of the road, and he stood beside the side of the road. And that's also where I was standing by the road, just watching. And he came and he stood beside me. He was also carrying an umbrella, and it was open as if it was raining. So he has the umbrella beside him, and it's early in the morning. Well, early morning could represent the timing that we where we are now, early on the morning of the third day, right? Um, He was standing beside me on the edge of the road, and he said to me, Can you believe how bad the world is getting and how little the government is doing to fix it? (laughs) So, um, well, the general population of the world relies on the government for everything and expects them to solve the problems. That's kind of like idolatry, isn't it? Not knowing that they are behind the causes and uh, people are receiving a government that they deserve. Yeah. And I simply said, as I looked at him, my faith is in the Lord. I spoke normally, just very casually, and with no emphasis, just my faith is in the Lord. And then he got in front of me and held the umbrella cradled uh, into his neck, And he grabbed my shoulders with both hands, and he said, Keep your eyes on what we tell you, no matter how bad it gets. (laughs) 
Well, the dumbed-down deep state mainstream media manipulation and Project Mockingbird deception is what's working out there to bring people to delusion and dumbing them down. Talking about things that don't matter and not talking about things that do. And then he said, And ask your Lord for better weather then because we're tired of the rain. And as he peeked out from under the umbrella and looked up into the sky and then took it back, while the rain was coming from up in the sky where the sun is, right? (laughs) This could represent the judgments of God falling on the wicked for their works. Um, And they're now reaping what they have sown. Ezekiel 38, 22, and 23 says, And with pestilence and with blood will I enter into judgment with him, and I will reign upon him and upon his hordes and upon the many peoples that are with him, an overflowing shower and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. And I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will make myself known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Well, Psalm 11 and 6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Not particularly um, talking about the brimstone so much, but as the fact that judgment is coming from the sky like rain. Right. Okay, my first thought was, it's not raining. Why do you have the umbrella? And he says, you know, because they're tired of the rain. (laughs) It's true, they're tired of the judgment. They don't want to hear about it, so on and so forth. Uh, So he's actually just trying to fit in with the rest by complaining of the judgments that they so richly deserved. At that moment, a box truck came around the corner, and the guy ran over about 10 feet from me and just a couple of feet from the edge of the road to get it. And he stood right beside this big puddle. It was big, and it looked like a very wet puddle. And as the truck was moving around the corner, a side door opened, and a guy was standing there with a huge bundle that to me looked like a square hay bale at first. And if you ever grew up in Midwest, you know what a square hay bale looks like. He said, um, he said, yeah, I moved plenty of those for my grandfather when I was a kid, right? Well, hay bales are a rectangle shape. Uh, hay is dried grasses and other foliage representing flesh. According to Peter's, all flesh is as grass statement. And this hay is for feeding the beasts. <laughs> it looked like hay to him because they are feeding the masses what their flesh wants to hear. So, and he threw it in the air with great strength and the truck, as the truck was moving. It seemed like he was struggling to get it there. 
but he threw it to the curb, and it landed right in the middle of that big puddle. And I realized then that this was a bundled stack of newspapers like they used to throw on the corner, and the newspaper guy would get them uh, in their stands. And it landed in that big puddle, and it splashed the guy that was standing there with this red substance. It looked like blood. So the square square hay bale of newspapers lands in this big puddle, and it is just it just throws this red colored substance everywhere. And my thought is the mainstream media is guilty of blood for their cover-ups of the crimes against Americans, and uh, they will soon pay. Now, my shirt and pants became covered in this red substance, and I took out a handkerchief. Um, hmm. Now, look, folks, I have never used a handkerchief in my life. So that stood out to me in the dream. But I took this handkerchief out and I cleaned myself off. I even went over to this cement-based water fountain and I got this handkerchief wet with water and I'm wiping off my shirt. I'm leaving wet spots on me as I'm wiping off this red substance that looks like blood because I felt I had to get it off of me quickly. <laughs> I guess uh, what I thought was I've got to get this stuff off of me quickly before it stains. Well, we don't want to be guilty of blood, do we, right? Um, we speak the truth, not what the mainstream media and the distractions out there say. And we don't want to spend time on the distractions to fill our mind with all that garbage. You know, we want to spend time with the truth. So we won't be guilty of blood. When we share the truth, we're not guilty of blood. And the newsstand guy walked right into the puddle. Just He just walked into it. So I saw it was deep and it was big. And he walked into the puddle, grabbed the bale, and he headed for the newsstand. He walked back to the newsstand about 20 feet. And he was dripping this red substance like a trail. And when he gets back, he drops this big bundle of papers real heavy on the ground. He just throws it down violently, and all the wet stuff on it splashes onto his newspapers and his newsstand. It's just all over the place. So I walked over and asked him if he knew what the red stuff was on the papers, and which was now also all over his other paper goods. He looked at me like I was crazy and said, What red stuff? Well, they don't take credit for passing on lies to their unwitting victims, you know, and they don't see that they have blood on them. They don't read the Bible to find that out. And I pointed to the papers and the magazines, and he said, Sir, are you okay, or do you need some medical attention? <laughs> so those who speak the truth are deemed conspiracy theorists and uh, who need a medical attention. 
Well, we know what medical attention gets people too, don't we? Hmm. And I said, the puddle the newspapers landed in splashed a red substance all over me and all over you. And he stepped back and he looked around and he said, I don't see anything that looks red. Well, the news media should be reporting of all the deaths and the bloodshed their own deep state is guilty of, but they are guilty of blood. Because they don't tell people the truth, they're guilty of blood, according to the Scriptures. The mainstream media are false prophets and puppets used to deceive and to say everything is a conspiracy to cover up their involvement. He looked at me, and I could see he was thinking. And I explained that I had cleaned it off of me, and I showed him the handkerchief that was now all splotchy red, covered with what had been on me. So we need to warn the people. As the Lord leads, of course, we need to warn the people. Ezekiel three eighteen through 21 When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Right? Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he hath done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thy hand." Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and thou hast delivered thy soul. I recommended to a lady just um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, that she confess her sins and get ready for what's coming. Oh, I got back a blistering email. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm, there's no blood on my hands. And he pointed his finger at me, just like he was looking down the barrel of his finger at me, and uh, he said, head on down the road or else you're going to start scaring my customers away. That's customers that don't want to hear the truth, and they don't want you to shake their little kingdom and their little place, you know. Um, but you have to share with them, right? Well, by this time I see that more people are walking by with umbrellas and a few are picking up the paper goods and leaving money in a jar. And that jar is marked the declared truth. <laughs> so the mainstream media make known what they want people to perceive as truth according to their agenda. And uh, deep state plans to depopulate the masses. So they cover up all of that. You know, they don't want people to see that, but they're not warning people. 
These people were also covered in the red substance, and they were also all oblivious to that. Well, the vast majority of people uh, are in darkness and have been dumbed down by the deep state media, and they're in idolatry with the government and the false church leadership. Uh, the D-class of the 10 days uh, will be directed at these people, which, as we see, um, uh, are not willing to accept truth by far. So the success will yet be judged. But I guarantee you there are people who are not going to change their minds. The newspaper guy approached me again to ask how I was, and I noticed a button that he was wearing on his shirt, and it said, If we don't say it, it ain't true. I asked him what that meant, and he shrugged and said, If you can't figure it out, you're worse off than I thought. <laughs> In other words, just go with the narrative and uh, that we give you uh, as the truth. Uh, don't rebel against the media. And even the majority of Christianity is led by non-spirit-filled leadership who do not exhort people to search out the truth in the Bible for themselves so that they can be holy in the times to come because they don't think they're going to be here anyway. Right. I then saw on the back of his shirt a message that was spelled out in the splash marks of that red substance, and it said, Shallow state is my place. So this represents the shallow news that strains out a gnat and swallows a camel, which means making small things big and big things small because they want to manipulate you. And then suddenly there was gunfire in a car going down the road behind me, and there was shooting into the crowd. I noticed that <clears throat> nobody moved any faster, and nobody even looked at it. If you can imagine just driving down the road, and there's a shooting on the sidewalk, and nobody notices, nobody cares, and nobody's worried or concerned. That's what this was like. The dumbed-down America doesn't want to hear anything disturbing against their illegal government, and they are in denial of the spiritual death that is killing them. Now, there was a young guy on the ground close to me who was bleeding profusely, and I ran over to him and I told him to lay still because he had been shot. And I went to grab my phone, but he said that he was fine and would be late for a meeting. So he tried getting up, even though his leg was not working. Now the guy is covered in blood. He's got several bullet wounds, and it seems like he doesn't even know he's been shot. Well, he's been murdered by lies. Lies covered up uh, the the mass murder of people by vaccines, and they still won't tell you the truth. And they still want you to go and take more. They're murderers. The blood is on them. I tried to hold him down when another shot rang out, and he took another round in his chest, 
And I said, lay down, lay down, I'll help you. But he just kept trying to get up, and finally his body started to get really slow and weak. And he eventually dies right there while he was trying to get up. I laid him down, looked around, and noticed that nobody was taking cover. Now, we live in a country today where if there are gunshots, everybody turns their head, ducks down, and looks for a way to go and get out of the way. Well, nobody was moving in this dream, even the newspaper guy. I saw he'd been shot too, and he was limping around the newsstand. He was applying pressure to a gunshot wound in his gut area, but he wasn't panicking. And he wasn't saying, hey, help me. He was just going about his life with no concern for the fact that he'd been shot in the gut, which is not a good place to be shot. Spiritual death comes on because of a lot of the things that people say and a lot of the things that people listen to, right? And they're dying of a spiritual death just like the deep state uh, they unwittingly worship. They don't know when they watch the mainstream media. That's what they're getting. Well, there were others on the ground dead too, but most of the people were just walking by and paying no attention to the hurt ones, and all the people walking by still had umbrellas out, but nobody was running or hiding. And I began to pray out loud in tongues, uh, in the dream, and I was watching people die. I was watching people bleeding, and nobody was concerned about what was happening, and it was hurtful. I was sobbing. I was weeping. I could feel the loss. It was a very empathetic dream, but nobody seemed to be taking anything seriously at all. They were just walking by the dead people. They took no cover uh, from the gunmen which, of course, were the news media assassins, right? Uh, next, the Jumbotron started to count down, and at the bottom of that screen, it showed that the stock market was tanking quickly. And on the screen, there was a picture of the bulls on Wall Street and a video of people nonchalantly breaking windows. I mean, with no concern, just tapping on the windows, breaking them, throwing chairs, uh, showing no emotion, no looks on their faces as they were doing this. Zombies, they're dead while they're living, right? There were tall buildings, and then people were jumping out of those tall buildings, and there were no screams or cries, no, no yelling. It was like there was no energy from these people at all. Others around them paid no attention as if it was not real or a joke. And then I saw a news anchor who was also covered in the red substance. She was in a newsroom, not out in the street, and she was sharing some video footage of things happening around the area of people being shot, people jumping from windows, and all of this. But as she spoke, she spoke in a very slow monotone. So I will imitate what she did. She said, 
Yes, people are dying, but don't worry about it. And don't hurry, because we know it's going to be all right. Trust us, because we know. And she literally said this. And with that, she gave this big thumbs up, and then she winked so hard it was almost like she would be injured doing so. I mean, she really exaggerated her wink very graphically. Probably meaning this is really a joke and far from the truth, right? (laughs) I then began looking around at people covered in the red substance, and they were everywhere. All of a sudden, the crowd around me on the streets of this big city or town, they're everywhere, but nobody seemed to actually see the chaos. There were people lying down. There were people jumping out of windows, but you did not hear yelling or screaming or crying. People are just going through the motions, and they seem to purposely ignore it. Well, the great harlot of Babylon is guilty of the blood of the saints and of mankind. Uh, This is the most murderous regime that's ever lived on the face of the earth. They are like the Satanists who attack us because they are Satanists too. They all belong to the head of the same dragon, right? And they're a murderous bunch. And God has been patient with them and he's tested us with them and so on. But now he's going to judge them. Ezekiel 22, 1 through 13. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, And thou, son of man, wilt thou judge, wilt thou judge the bloody city? Then cause her to know all her abominations. And thou shalt say, Thus saith the Lord, A city that sheddeth blood in the midst of her, that her time may come, and that maketh idols against herself to defile her. Thou art become guilty in thy blood that thou hast shed, and thou art defiled in thine idols which thou hast made. And thou hast caused thy days to draw near, and art come even unto thy years. Therefore have I made thee a reproach unto the nations, and a mocking to all the countries. Those that are near and those that are far from thee shall mock thee, thou infamous one, and full of tumult. Behold, the princes of Israel, every one according to his power, have been in thee to shed blood. Yes, why is that? Because they haven't warned the wicked, as we just saw. In fact, they've told them just the opposite. Don't worry about it. You're going to fly away. Don't worry about it. So down in verse 9, it says, Slanderous men, that's the factious Satanists, are famous for this. Slanderous men have been in thee to shed blood. Yes, they've turned people away from the gospel. They've uh, raped women. They have sacrificed women, sacrificed their own children and families, and uh, the Lord told me to declass them and do a good job. So, I've been doing that, and I am guilt, guiltless of their blood, because it is coming now. What they have sown will be reaped. 
And one hath committed abomination in, uh, this is verse 11, and one hath committed abomination with his neighbor's wife, and another hath lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law, and another in thee hath humbled his sister, his father's daughter, oh, there's one left out here, uh, molesting your own children. So, clearly the factious Satanists have perverted lusts. In thee have they taken bribes to shed blood. Yes, they want to be found guiltless, so they throw all their guilt at you, who are warning people, and they are not. Who's guilty of blood? Revelation 18 and 24. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints, and of all that have been slain upon the earth. And then a man walked up to me and asked if I was all right, and I turned to see that it was the man that I always see. I didn't say anything. I just turned to him uh, to look, and he said, I see it all, and I know it all. But many in the church see as much as these that you see in the streets. Too many in the body see nothing, and they see that on purpose. And I say to you to keep your eyes on the prize and be consistent in your discipline. He continued, They need to purchase salve for their eyes so that they can see and and once seeing, get busy serving me in public. Revelation 3 and 15 says, I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So, because thou art lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The Lord told me this speaks of spewing these people out of the body of Christ. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and have gotten riches, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art the wretched one, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. It's easy to think you're a pretty good person if you don't read the Bible. If you read the Bible and repent, you can be a pretty good person. (laughs) I counsel thee to buy of me gold refined by fire, that thou mayest become rich, and white garments. White garments talk about good works, the works of Christ in you. And the gold represents the very nature of Christ in you. That thou mayest clothe thyself, that the shame of thy nakedness be not made manifest. There's a lot of naked people out there. Yeah. And I salve to anoint thine eyes that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I reprove and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He continued, The blind are leading the blind into the ditch, and I cannot help them there, though I want to. See with my eyes all that needs to be seen and refuse to see what they want you to. In other words, don't waste a lot of time on the distractions of the world in the media. It's blood. Okay? Uh, He then walked away. And so we've been warned about this before, to warn people, don't get distracted with these things that are deep state, you know, rooted. The apostate leaders are the hirelings, the false teachers and prophets without the spiritual gifts, 
and discernment and are leading the many astray. And many are like the church of Laodicea. They are lukewarm towards the Lord. God's people need to seek Him, seek righteousness and the truth. Put it in your heart, right? And Matthew 15 and 14. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both shall fall into a pit. Amen. And I've gone over once again. So sorry. (laughs) Well, Lord, thank you so much for this exhortation, Lord. Um, Bless us to not be a part of this blood and, uh, and tell people around us, you know, the truth. And even if they scoff, at least the blood is not on your hands. Amen. All right. God bless you, saints. And uh, Michael Harris coming to uh, share with the brethren. And Father, bless them. Please bless them mightily. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, we just praise you and we glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for the word. The word that uh, tells us how to live and what has happened and what it will happen again in the near future. And we praise you. We glorify you for this word today. We ask for your anointing to get it out and to bless people. Thank you, Lord. All right. What I want to do is talk today about the end times, natural and spiritual Jews. You know, the parable in Romans chapter 11 and verse 19 says, Thou wilt say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, by their unbelief, they were broken off. Now, Paul's talking about the natural branches of natural Israel were broken off their olive tree. And it goes on and says, And thou standest by thy faith. The Romans, of course, were a Gentile church. They stand in that same covenant, in that same olive tree, by faith. And it goes on and says, Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, neither would he spare thee. Behold, then, the goodness and severity of God toward them that fell severity, but toward thee, God's goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. So he's talking to the Gentile church that's already been grafted into the olive tree. With who? Well, with the faithful Old Testament saints who are Christians now because they were born again. They had the gospel preached to them while they were in Abraham's bosom that God took captivity captive. And they now know at the time that this was written back then that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is their only sacrifice, and they accept that sacrifice. So now everybody who is in the olive tree is there through faith, through their belief. The unbelievers, the natural Jews, have been broken off. And he goes on to say in verse 23, And they also, if they continue not in their unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wast cut out of that which is by nature a wild olive tree, and was grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, 
which are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. For I would not, brethren, have you ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that a hardening in part hath befallen Israel, that's natural Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. So we see here God is going to graft back in a remnant of natural Israel when all the Gentiles have come in. All of Rachel has come in. Added to the Rachel nature, uh, I'm sorry, added to the Rachel number is going to be a remnant of the church who's going to come in through the new birth. Not through sacrificing bulls and goats because God he already rejected that forever. And you'll read that in Isaiah chapter 1. He calls it an abomination. There's only one sacrifice that pleases God in the New Testament. And that is the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ. Glory to God. The olive tree now represents believers. All believers in Jesus Christ. Old Testament saints that were faithful in Abraham's bosom and New Testament saints who are believers. Anybody else has been broken off that olive tree. When he says all Israel, he's talking about the Israel of God. And that's what it's called in the New Testament. Well, who's the Israel of God? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 2 and see what God says there. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, he is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. Now, we're not talking about a parable here. We're talking about the fulfillment of it. Circumcision in the flesh was a parable of the circumcision of the heart. The born-again Jew, which is the New Testament spiritual Jew, who was grafted into the olive tree called all Israel. Again, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. Verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Well, in the New Testament, you have to be a Jew in the spirit. The circumcision is not in the flesh, it's the circumcision of the heart, cutting away the flesh of the heart. That means we don't live after the lust of our flesh, our desires. And that's what the heart represents. We don't live after the desires of our heart anymore. Well, that's real interesting because if you go back and you look at the story of Rachel and Leah, most of the children that were born were born of the handmaids. And Leah and Rachel had two sons. She had Joseph who was, of course, the one that saved God's people during the seven years of famine. Joseph represents the man-child. The church is going to bring forth, in these days we're in now, the man-child, Joseph, who is to save God's people through the seven years of famine. But it didn't stop there. There was another son born, and his name was Benjamin. What did Benjamin represent? Well, you have to remember when Joseph's brothers came to be preserved by him in Egypt during the time of the famine, he sent them back 
to bring Benjamin to meet the man-child. Now, Benjamin represents the remnant of Israel that's going to come to the man-child during the seven years of famine. Rachel had two sons. Now, notice, why would the remnant of Israel be born unto Rachel, who represents the church? Well, it's simple. We've been lied to about what God's going to accept from the Jews in these coming days. Multitudes of Jews, they may go back to sacrificing, and they might do a lot of things according to the Old Covenant. But folks, the Old Covenant is not in effect. As Christians, we don't go under a covenant that doesn't exist, nor a covenant that was only made with Israel. If we do, we don't have a covenant with God. The only covenant in effect today is the new covenant. And it's through the sacrifice of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And the reason that Benjamin was born to Rachel, because he's going to be a member of the church, just like the man-child is a member of the church. Joseph is the clearest type of the man-child in the Old Testament. Outside of Moses, those two are probably the two clearest in the Old Testament. And we know that the man-child is the first fruits to be born of the church, the second wife to be born of the church in time to bring the woman into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, of course, of course, she's to be tempted by the devil and preserved by the man-child just like Jesus, who was the man-child, and taught the woman in the wilderness, in the desert. It was translated desert, but it was the same word. In other words, wilderness and desert is the same thing. He taught them. He provided for them. He multiplied the foods. Everything else, he provided for them. The same thing is about to happen for the church. God has a provision. Because a man-child is going to be born out of the church to preserve in the seven years of famine. And during that time, Benjamin is going to come into the kingdom. He is the second son of Rachel, Benjamin was. And you see, folks, it all fits. And one thing we can see from this is God's great love for his born-again creation. We say God created man in his own image. Was that the natural man? Or was he only a type of the image of God? He was only a type of the image of God. First the natural, then the spiritual. The born again man is born from above. He's born from heaven, John 3 and 13. Jesus is the father of the born again creation to bring man into the true image of God. And only according to the natural, only according to the parable, was the Old Testament people in the image of God. The born-again creation is the one that God desires. From the very beginning, he has loved those who are born of him, born in his image. It says, we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. And it's from star glory to moon glory to sun glory. 
the three stages of Christian growth that we come into the image of Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians 1 and 10 says, The Lord is going to come to be glorified in his saints and marveled at in all them that believe. Because our testimony unto you, unto you was believed in that day. That's what Paul said. And we understand, folks, that God is truly bringing forth a people in his own image, but he's doing it through Rachel. He's doing it through the church. He's doing it through the ones that are the called out ones. Jesus went to his disciples. He called them out of Judaism to walk in the spirit of the word, not the letter. And they are to walk in the fulfillment of the parable, not the parable. And that's the awesome thing that God's doing. It was that woman that God loved greatly. Not the first woman, but that woman. And we've been told a lie. We've been fed a lie from the Pharisees of the New Testament people of God. We've been lied to. The great thing is, folks, is that you and I are not an afterthought. We're going to be in on the fulfillment of God's crowning glory, his crowning creation of people in his image, glory to God. A people that have received new life, spirit, soul, and body. Not just a fleshly creation passed on by man with a bunch of rules and regulation just to keep him in line and manipulate him. According to Galatians, until the seed should come to whom the promise is due. And what's that seed? Galatians chapter 3 tells us that it's Christ. And as you know, we abide in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, we are God's born-again New Testament spiritual Israel. The beloved he had from the very beginning. And God took tiny little Israel to make a parable for a great big church, a worldwide church. And this worldwide church is to be his creation. Now, I know that everybody is not the church. That word church means, of course, to call outwards. Are you coming out? You can be just as much in bondage as the handmaid. You can be in bondage to the rules and regulations of men just like they were in the old covenant. You can be under their laws that they like to put on you that are old covenant laws and then you'll sure enough be a handmaid or you can come out from among and be separate and that's what the church is separated from the world separated from world religion separated from natural Israel Jesus was separating a people from natural Israel he was separating a people from the letter from the parable, bringing them into the fulfillment, glory to God. And as you know, Jacob was a patriarch. He was the father of the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament people of God, which represented Rachel and Rachel's handmaid. Not only that, Jesus Christ is the patriarch 
of the spiritual New Testament people of God. He's the patriarch of the 12 patriarchs also. So Jacob in this story represents Jesus who had a bride in the Old Testament and a bride in the New Testament. God complained in Isaiah that Israel should tell their mother that he was not her husband and that she was not his bride. Well, we know that God divorced his firstborn bride, as the book of Esther tells us. That was because of her rebellion, because she didn't appear before him when he called her. So he turned to his second-born bride, and in this case, it was Rachel. So we know that Rachel represents the church. You remember, Jacob, from the very beginning, loved Rachel over and above Leah. Rachel was his chosen. He loved her. He thought she was beautiful. And yet because of the father-in-law, he had to marry Leah first and then Rachel. And that's the story of the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. Praise God. Listen, Jacob served for seven years before having a relationship with Leah. Then because he complained to Laban, Laban gave him Rachel if he would serve for another seven years. So right here you have these two seven-year periods, and in the midst of them you have Jacob coming to know Leah and then Rachel and their handmaids later. Well, here's the point, folks. When did God actually come to know and to have a relationship with his first covenant people? Well, it was when Jesus came to call them, came to invite them. When he brought the true seed of the word of God, not the parable of the letter, but the true seed of the word of God. He had a relationship first with the Old Testament people of God. And then after that, because uh, most of them blasphemed and turned away, he had a relationship with the New Testament people of God. And there was a period before this for Israel and a long period after this for the church. That's what those two seven-year periods represent. Now, notice how close the parable is to exactly what's happened in history. And also notice that Rachel, the second-born bride, brought forth, brought forth Joseph. And he represents in a type Jesus and the man-child in our day. A remnant seed, one last remnant seed called Benjamin, little Benjamin, was the last to come in. Benjamin, of course, came into the kingdom in a time when Joseph was ruling in the kingdom for seven years of famine. So that represents that grafting back in of a remnant of natural Israel into the church. Everybody thinks Israel is going to come in under their own covenant. But no, Benjamin is the child of Rachel, the church. Now let's go to another parable. In Genesis chapter 32 and 33, it's a uh, actually a natural follow-up to that parable we just looked at. Because after that parable, we see that Jacob decided to bring his family to the promised land. Now, what do you think that represents? Did you know there was an Old Testament people of God who were faithful to what they knew, to what they understood? Those faithful Old Testament saints 
were not born again literally until the time when Jesus went and preached to the souls in prison after his death. And of course, he preached the gospel to them. And the Bible says he took captive, captivity captive. And so you understand everyone, according to John chapter 3 and verse 3 and also verse 5, that everyone who enters the kingdom or sees the kingdom of God must be born again. And that's including natural Israel. And that's including the church. Everyone must be born again. And we see that Jesus brought in the faithful remnant who was in Abraham's bosom. And now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We see that God is bringing in a Leah and he's bringing in a Rachel and he's bringing in handmaids. But we know that is recognizing only the faithful. Obviously, the unfaithful were left in Hades, right? And the same thing is going to be true for the people in the New Testament who don't prove to be members of the body of Rachel. They prove themselves to be members of the body of the beast or the body of the world and not members of the body of Rachel. And we see that Jacob decided he'd already raised up his flocks here and he decided to leave that land and go to the promised land, Canaan's land which represents heaven. We see the sequence of events of him bringing in these different entities into the kingdom. In fact, we've got two parables, one in chapter 32 and one in chapter 33. They repeat one another. And that's so that we can make sure that we understand this. In chapter 32 and 1, it says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim means two companies. There's more than one revelation of the two companies. And the two companies here that he's talking about is the Old and the New Testament companies. Verse 3, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir, the field of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye say unto my lord Esau, Thus saith thy servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. And I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and maidservants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and moreover, he comes to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Well, that struck fear in the heart of Jacob, because he just knew that that old bitterness and anger that Esau had toward him might still be there. Well, this is talking about both the time of Jesus for Leah and our day, which is at the end of Rachel's covenant. Both at the end of those covenants, there was a problem with the beast kingdom. Now, who's the beast here? Well, you know that Jacob and Esau were twins. They were born in the same womb. You know what that represented? They represented the spiritual man and the carnal man, the man that's of the world and the man that's of heaven. 
The Lord said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That's just one parable. And there are other things that can be seen there. Now, do you know him that is born after the flesh has always persecuted him who is born of the Spirit? Paul said in Galatians chapter 4. Now, here we are coming to what they had in Jesus' day, right? The Roman, the Roman Empire rose up. They put their foot on the neck of the Jews and brought them under and into bondage and on and on. In these days, we're seeing the same thing. We're seeing world empires being raised up to basically put their foot on the neck of Christians. And so basically we have this happening twofold for two companies. Now let's read on here in verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and was distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said it unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will do thee good. So you can see here, Jacob had a promise here. If you return, I will do you good. And that's over and above anything Esau had planned, over and above anything the beast can be planning. You know what? God's going to do his people good just like he did in those days. He's going to do his people good in the days ahead. Jacob had this promise in his mind, but he had what he was seeing with his eyes to the contrary, you know. 400 men coming at him. He was looking in the flesh, wasn't he? Oh, my gracious, 400 men coming after us. Why would Esau need 400 men? Well, obviously, you'd have to be thinking about that, wouldn't you? Verse 10, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the loving kindness and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two companies. I am become two companies. He speaks of himself as a corporate body here, like the body of Christ, the body of God's servants, both of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you know that that's all one body. There's only one body, folks. Did you know that those saints that were in Hades, the Old Testament saints, when they believed the gospel, they became members of our body, didn't they? They, they became members of just the one body. And Ephesians talks about the joining of the two in one new covenant. Even Christians today, want to separate the Jewish Christians from the Gentile Christians. And that ain't right. We're both under the same new covenant, folks. Well, I am become two companies. I passed over Jordan, and I become two companies. What does the Jordan represent? The Jordan represents death. And I'll give you an example of that. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 3. And I'm just going to tell it to you briefly in a this type of shadow here. If you remember, Joshua and the children of God came up out of the wilderness in order to enter into the promised land. And now we know the wilderness in Revelation chapters 12 and 17 
tells you that the wilderness is the tribulation. They came to go through the wilderness in order to get to the promised land. After the wilderness is what? After the tribulation is what? That's the promised land, glory to God. And that's one type you could see about the promised land is that it represents the kingdom of heaven. He had orders from God about the procedure by which he was going to cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land. Number one, he said that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, verse 13, was to go across first. Cross the Jordan, go into the promised land first. Well, what does that sound like? That sounds like the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the Ark of the Covenant. He was the one in whom the presence of God lived. And he said basically that the Ark of the Covenant would go over first and that the the, the, the people would hold back 2,000 cubits before they crossed the River Jordan. He told them to stand back from the Ark of the Covenant about 2,000 cubits. First of all, Jesus went as a forerunner for us. He went through death first, and he told us to take up our cross and follow him. And there's two ways that we go through death. We can go through it physically, and we can go through it spiritually. For 2,000 paces, that basically leaves us where we are now, folks, about 2,000 years from the time Jesus crossed the River Jordan and went to the Promised Land, the Ark of the Covenant. And the interesting thing was that when the Ark of the Covenant went out into the Jordan River and the priest's feet touched the river, that God parted that river. As a matter of fact, he pushed it all the way back to a place called Adam, a city called Adam. When they stepped in the water, when Jesus, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, went through death, he pushed death back all the way to Adam. You can read the story here. It's an awesome story. It's right there in black and white. The water stood up and pushed back all the way to the Sea of Adam, all the way back to Adam, the beginning of creation of God, the first man God created. So death was destroyed all the way back to Adam when the Ark of the Covenant passed into the Jordan. When Jesus was crucified and when he died, he destroyed death for all mankind. It's there for you whether you take advantage of it or not. And it's that's up to you, but it's there for you. Then they took 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan where the Ark of the Covenant was and they carried them with them all the way over to the other side of the Jordan. In the midst of the Jordan, they set up 12 stones and the Bible says they're there until this day. And so the waters of the Jordan turned and covered the 12 stones, which were for the 12 tribes and 12 were taken to the other side. Then 2,000 cubits later, the rest of the people passed through the Jordan and into the Promised Land. And that represents our day when two things are happening. 
the resurrection of the dead, which passed over first, according to First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we that are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord pass over. Some people passed over without dying. Now, obviously, passed right on over into the promised land. Others were taken up as stones out of the depth of the waters of Jordan. They had been put to death by the waters of Jordan, spiritually speaking. Baptism is a representation of bringing to death the old man and bringing to life the new man. So you got to see two things here. You, you see the resurrection of the dead preceding those that are alive and remain, passing through the Jordan and into the promised land. And from this, you can plainly see that the Jordan represents death. You have to go through it to get to the promised land. Some went through it and were alive, and some went through it and were dead, represented by the stones. Now, back to the story in Genesis chapter 32. He says, I passed over this Jordan, and I've become two companies. Well, folks, two companies, Rachel and Leah, have to pass through that river of death, which death was destroyed and abolished by Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible said. They passed through that river of death to go into the promised land, so he became two companies. And you can see who the two companies are once again. And this confirms what we were saying about the second-born bride, Rachel, being the one Jacob loved first. He loved her first, and he chose her. The father chose for him to be married to Leah first, but he chose Rachel first. He got to marry her second, but he chose her first. She was always the one in his mind from the very beginning. So you you see, the thing we've been told is a lie, that we were just an afterthought in the mind of God, that the physical Jews are God's chosen people. And we're going to look some more about what the scriptures have to say about this and totally disprove that theory. It's not good that God's people think of themselves in that way. Because the firstborn people were born after the flesh. And the secondborn people are born again, born from above, born in the spirit of God, born of the very nature of Jesus Christ who came out of heaven. And it's an opportunity that the first people passed up, by the way, when Jesus came. They passed up that opportunity. Overwhelming majority of them, of them did. Only a few only a remnant accepted Christ and came into this New Testament body, which we're calling Rachel here. Verse 11 says, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and smite me, the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. The Lord did that for Jacob who is Jesus, he represents Jesus, right? And then we see that Jacob sends a present to appease his brother. And that's from verse 13 on down to verse 21. And for purposes of trying to get through this and making only the points we need, I'm going to cut it short and we're going to verse 22. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two handmaids. And we discovered that the two handmaids or the handmaid of Leah and the handmaid of Rachel. They represented those people who don't have the pure relationship of the wife and the bride to the husband. 
we notice that Paul described the handmade relationship to the free woman as one who had a relationship under law. Now, I'd like to mention that that same relationship is in the New Testament because Rachel had a handmaid too that brought four children. There's a large portion of Christianity that have a law relationship with Jesus, not the kind he wants whatsoever. And the law meaning, of course, either brings Christians back under the law, which makes them, according to Paul, children of the handmaiden in bondage, or bringing Christians under the law of some New Testament sect of Christianity. In other words, they're in bondage to religion instead of having that pure personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Their relationship is through religion, rules, and regulations of a religion. The New Testament people of God have walked lockstep in the same failures as the Old Testament people of God because what was written unto them was written for our admonition, the Bible said, unto whom the ends of the ages have come. So you see, this ought to be a lesson for us. Once we see that this is written to us, it becomes real valuable to us. But if you think it's a pretty story and it's written about them, yeah, you can see some moral things in there, but most of it escapes you. Then you're missing out on most of the Bible. The overwhelming amount of the Bible is in the Old Testament, and it is a type and a shadow of what is happening in the New Testament. Well, let me go on because this sequence of events is to prove to you that Rachel and Leah are who we say they are. He cried out to the Lord. And then in verse 24, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. That was an angel of the Lord. Verse 25, And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was strained as he wrestled with him. You know, the power of God is made perfect in our weakness. You know, we, we, we often wrestle with God, don't we? We demand our rights a whole lot of times. And God tries us by things that appear to be opposing to the promise. Jacob had a promise. The Lord said, return with your family and I'll do you good. I'll bless you. But here's something contrary. Esau and his 400 men. Boy, that would get you worried, wouldn't it? It didn't look like he was going to make it to where he was going, right? Well, that's the way it is. We wrestle with God sometimes. We stand steadfast to the promises God's given to us and we don't walk by our sight, folks. Close your eyes and just believe what God says. That's what this represents. Verse 26, and he said, let me go for the, the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, he said, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. Israel, by the way, means he will rule as God. No more Jacob. No more of the supplanter. Now you're going to rule like God. Why? He's wrestled with God and has overcome. For thou hast striven with God and with men and hast prevailed. 
And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. So he wrestled with God and blessed him. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means the face of God. Glory to God. Now we're seeing something here, folks. He's passing over the Jordan, passing through death to what? Into the promised land, into Canaan's land. To see what? To see the face of God. And that represents God's people passing on at whatever time they do, passing on and going to be with the Lord. For said he, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. In a way, his old life wasn't preserved because when you see God, you die, don't you? The old man dies. Moses went up on the mountain. And when he came back with his face glowing, the people said, don't let us go on that mountain because we'll die if we hear his voice. They didn't go on the mountain. And of course, that's the truth. They would have died, spiritually died, and died to self. The old man can't live in the presence of God. That's the whole point. Jacob came face to face. The term here, he came face to face with God. The term here of Peniel, the face of God. And remember that because we're going to see it in the next chapter also. Verse 31, And the sun rose upon him as he passed over Penuel, and he limped upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew of the hip, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, into this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Now, We've got the story actually again here in chapter 33 to, to actually confirm what we're saying. Verse 1, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children into Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. In other words, that's those four groups that we're talking about the people of God throughout history up until today. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost. Now let me point something out to you. The handmaids were the people who didn't have that special relationship with God. They didn't have the place of the first bride. And you know, they didn't have that relationship with God. They had that legalistic relationship with God and they passed over first to what? They passed over to see the face of God first. You know, for 1,700 or 1,800 years, the people of God were in a kind of a stagnant relationship with the Lord up until the time Jesus came and offered the true seed of the word of God to Leah at the end of that covenant and then to Rachel at the beginning of the next. They were in a stagnant relationship. They didn't have really the relationship of the true husband until Jesus came and offered it to them. He offered the double anointing to them at that time. And from the beginning of Christianity, we see that Paul spoke about a great falling away. And so there have been many generations of Christians who didn't have a pure relationship with Jesus Christ. We're just now coming back to the place where a remnant of Christians and ultimately a remnant of natural Jews who will become Christians will have that special relationship 
with the Lord again. There's been generations of the handmaids that have passed over first to see the face of God. In John chapter 2, Jesus gave us a parable. The Lord of the feast, the marriage feast. You saved the best wine for last, Lord. You know it's true. The best of God's Old Testament people were last. Remember when the disciples came in? Those fiery people came into the presence of the Lord. A great remnant of Leah came into the kingdom and came to know the Lord in the real true way that God had planned for them to know him. And that was at the end of their their uh, covenant. And now we've come to, end of, to the end of our covenant. And guess what? God's people are crawling up out of the dark ages, coming back into the relationship with God that he planned from the beginning. The handmaids went first, and he said, and he saved the best wine till last. You know what that wine represents? He put the water, meaning the flesh, into the six clay vessels, and Jesus turned it into wine. The Lord of the feast said, you saved the best wine for last. And he's talking about the nature of Jesus Christ. The wine represents the nature of Jesus Christ. That's the blood, right? The blood and the wine. So we're talking about the nature of Jesus Christ being manifested in his people in the end of the covenant of both Leah and then Rachel. Many handmaids going first. Many people who didn't understand didn't have a good relationship with God as the end time people. And notice he divided the children into Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids and put the handmaids and their children foremost. Now, most people see only the natural here. And they say, well, okay, Jacob considered these people expendable. We'll put them out front. If Esau slaughtered them, well, the rest of us will run. There's a spiritual revelation here also. He put the handmaids and their children foremost and Leah, her children, after. And then Rachel and Joseph at the end. Leah and her children were the next to come into the kingdom. Leah and the children who Jesus went and preached to the souls in prison, the faithful saints of the old covenant that became born again, by the way, when they heard the gospel being preached and entered the kingdom. They had passed through death and into life through the kingdom. And then Rachel was last because Rachel represents the church. Rachel and Joseph, which represents the man-child. And one who is not represented here yet because the rest of the story over here is when Joseph was to preserve the people of God through the seven years of famine. Then Benjamin, his younger brother, his remnant brother, came into the kingdom where he ruled, which was in Egypt of the world. Verse 3, and he himself passed over before them, and that's true, and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with thee? And he said, The children whom God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaids came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also and her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph, near and Rachel, 
and they bowed themselves. All the sequence of events in which these people of God have gone through the Jordan and into the presence of God. And as a matter of fact, we're going to come to that in just a few verses. Look at verse 8 right now. And he said, What meanest thou by all of this company which I met? He said, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Let that which thou hast be thine. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found favor in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For as much as I have seen thy faith, as one seeth the face of God, there it is again. That same word, Peniel, the face of God. What happened? They passed over. They came into the promised land and they came into the presence of God, the face of God. And in this case, God is using Esau as the face of God. He hides these things in there. Sometimes they uh, are improbable in the natural, but he hides these things in there so that he, we can pick them up as he shows them to us. And as a matter of fact, where did Jacob go? He went to Sukkoth, verse 17. And Sukkoth means tabernacles. Sukkoth represents the Feast of Tabernacles, which is historic. The Feast of Tabernacles. Now you understand the Feast of Tabernacles was when the Israelites built a temporary tabernacle, an individual temporary tabernacle for each one of them. They dwelt in it for seven days. And at the end of seven days, they tore down this temporary tabernacle, which, by the way, was made from wild olive branches and tame olive branches. And you remember who that was. We're talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's in Romans chapter 11. We were grafted in. The wild olive branches were grafted in to the tame olive tree. And these temporary shelters were made out of both the tame and the wild olive tree branches. And at the end of seven days, they tore this down and they went to their permanent home. Folks, we know what that means. After seven days of tribulation, by the way, there's going to be seven days of the 70th week of Daniel at the end of that time. These temporary tabernacles made with man's hands are going to be torn down. And we will Go to our permanent home, glory to God, which is the new body that the Lord has prepared for us. And it's not an accident that he comes to the tabernacles at this time when he sees the face of God. It's the fulfillment of tabernacles. That's the fulfillment of it. Once again, I want to point out to you what we see here is uh, Rachel has to be exactly who we are seeing her. As, right here, Rachel represents the New Testament people of God. The one he loved from the very beginning, the born again person. You see the difference between the Jews covenant and the Gentiles covenant. We're still the Israelites, the Bible says. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly in the circumcision of the flesh. He is a Jew who is one inwardly in the circumcision of the heart. So we're still Jews in the New Testament. We're just spiritual Jews. 
The genealogy of our forefather, Jesus, has been passed on to us through the word because that was his seed. Literally, the word seed in Matthew chapter 13 in some places is the word sperma. We see that the word of the Lord has been passed on and sown in our hearts. In the parable of the sower, it brought forth fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. In the Old Testament, the seed was passed on by flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus was the patriarch of the new spiritual born again creation. The one that God planned from the very beginning. The one that actually, not in the letter, but in the spirit, was coming into the image of God. And if you remember, he created man in his own image. Folks, he's still doing that. He's in the process now, literally, bringing man into his image, sons of God. What about the Jews? Well, that was according to the letter. That was a parable. It wasn't a fulfillment of the parable. The New Testament people of God, the church, are the fulfillment of the parable. Now, you think God wanted to start with just a man that was born of the earth, that that which was a born of flesh? Do you think that was his plan from the beginning? No, it wasn't. It was his plan for those people to come into the kingdom just like the apostles did. They were Jews in the flesh. Now they were Jews in the spirit. They were born again, born from above, born of the word of God. The word that he spoke unto them recreated himself in them. So these apostles and the other people they raised up, Jews in the beginning and all Jews in the beginning, they were born of the flesh and born of the spirit. They were Jews in the natural and Jews in the spirit. And we as born again Christians, we are Jews in the spirit, not in the natural. We don't really care for the promises that were given to them in the natural. What we care for is the promises that were given to us in the spiritual. Because when we read this story, we see that God is speaking to us. He was speaking to them in the letter, but he's speaking to us in the spirit. He says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And the letter for them was fine, but we're spiritual born again Jews. We've got to see this in the spirit. And it's only written to us in the spirit. People talk a lot about replacement theology. I don't want what the Jews had in the letter. We're not replacing anything here. What this points to in the spirit is what is my promise and your promise. So we're not talking about us taking their land. I don't want their land. I want the land that this represents. That's the land that we should want. And I want the promises that the promises that were given to them represent, not the letter, because the letter kills, right? The letter kills the spirit people. Why? Because they thrive on the spirit of the word. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And that's what we desire. Those who were born naturally, there's no promise for them. You have to be born again. That's the people who have the promise. And the people who were born once, that's the Jews. Born of the world, born of the flesh, that's the Jews. The only hope they have is to be born again. And that's why Jesus came. 
he came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. And he had to offer it to them because they had the covenant first. He had to offer to them this final finishing of the creation of God in them, and they refused it. The overwhelming majority, all but a remnant, refused it. In these days, too, the same thing is going to happen. All but a remnant are going to refuse it. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left unto us a seed, we had become as Sodom and had made, and has been made like unto Gomorrah. In other words, unless God had left them just a remnant, they would have been totally wiped out. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul. Pure as water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.